Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, here we go. Stand by. Three, two, one. The thinking atheist. It's not a person. It's a symbol. An idea. The population of atheists in this country is going through the roof. Rejecting faith. Pursuing knowledge. Challenging the sacred. If I tell the truth, it's because I tell the truth. Not because I put my hand on a book and made a wish. And working together for a more rational world. Take the risk of thinking for yourself. Much more happiness, truth, beauty, and wisdom will come to you that way. Assume nothing. Question everything. And start thinking. This is the Thinking Atheist Podcast. Hosted by Seth Andrews. This uh, conversation is really the product of just me reading about U.S. Attorney General William Barr. Recently, one of the keynotes, along with Betsy DeVos, at the NRB, the National Religious Broadcasters Association. Why is an elected official, a representative of all faiths and none, in a taxpayer-funded state church-separated government, why is he speaking at the NRB, representing our government? (sighs) Right, you're already a step ahead of me. Anyway, so he's speaking to the NRB, and he's talking about how the press has become remarkably monolithic. And then he goes on to say, that the forces of secularism have unleashed, quote, immense suffering, wreckage, and misery. We're seeking to destroy religious life in America. According to St. Augustine, as you know, man lives simultaneously in two realms. Each individual is a unique creation of God with a transcendent end and eternal life in the city of God. We are created to love our Creator in this world and become united with Him in eternity. As Augustine writes in his Confessions, You have made us for Yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless 
until it rests in you. Okay, so we are created beings created to be in a communal relationship with the Father. And there's no way that we, as flawed, fallen creatures in a flawed, fallen world, could ever be able to discern right from wrong and have any good without God. Moral values must be based on an authority independent of man's will. In other words, they must flow from a transcendent supreme being. Men are far likelier to obey rules that come from God than to abide by the abstract outcome of an ad hoc utilitarian calculus. Okay, even in this short statement, there's already so much wrong. If you watch the rest of the speech and you are pounding your head against the wall as he misrepresents the founding fathers, he misrepresents the establishment clause and all this stuff, you hear, first of all, he's making the prime mover argument. He's making the objective moral standard bearer argument. You can't be moral unless there's an objective moral standard, but that's not an argument for his specific God with the proper name, right? He's a devout Christian. But he's making this sort of deistic argument. There's something out there that set the bar. Beyond that, then he makes this totally unfounded claim that you and I can't know right from wrong and can't act in moral, ethical ways unless we are told to by a third party out there somewhere. I mean, there's there's no backing up of this claim. He just tosses it out there, and of course, the fawning, drooling attendees at the NRB are like, yay, yay, what a wonderful sentiment. Obviously, it's true. Wait a minute, how terrifying is William Barr's life if he has to be told by a third party, some magic wizard has to whisper in his ear that murder is wrong, rape is wrong, theft is wrong, dishonesty is wrong. The thing is that damage cultures, communities, societies, civilizations, nations, the world, the things that tear us apart actually increase human misery, and that falls back on us. I mean, the very idea of cooperative societies and evolved ethical systems somehow does not occur to this man. He has to be told not to do horrible shit. It's terrifying. Then Attorney General William Barr spends, I don't know how long, talking about the attack on religious liberty. We live in a time when religion, long an essential pillar of our society, is being driven from the public square. And thank God we have the national religious broadcasters to counter that effort. Now, I don't mind necessarily the idea of hostility to religion if we're talking about the ability to criticize a bad idea. I mean, sometimes it's good to be hostile toward the ideas that damage people. (laughs) There, in that sense, may be a war on Christianity, right? We are looking to defeat the bad ideas, replace them with better ideas. Christianity's a debunked mythology rooted in shame and guilt, which brings us back to it's a fallen world and none of us know right from wrong and we all deserve hell, but Jesus came as a super baby to save us, blah, 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 blah. There's a lot of damage that's done to people by this kind of thinking. So we can be hostile to that in that way, but we're not hostile to the idea of religious liberty. 
We support the right of people to have and hold a private individual religious faith. We're not attacking our own constitution. We're simply saying in the arena of ideas, religion doesn't get a pass from criticism. And William Barr plays the religious liberty card. So then you got Donald Trump, uh, who is pandering to the evangelical right and the Christian nationalists because it's the only base, really, that he's got left, the only relatively influential base. He's asked about the Bible, doesn't answer, because, well, it's kind of a personal thing. And you and I are thinking he doesn't know anything about the Bible. He says it's his favorite book. And, of course, Donald Trump likes to say that he knows everything about everything. I think nobody knows more about campaign finance than I do because I'm the biggest contributor. There's nobody bigger or better at the military than I am. I know more about ISIS than the generals do, believe me. I know more about courts than any human being on earth. I understand social media, so I know a lot about Twitter. I understand Twitter, and I do mostly do it myself. Bing, 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 bum, 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 put it out, at real Donald Trump. Somebody said, I'm the Ernest Hemingway of 140 characters. Who are you consulting with consistently so that you're ready on day one? I'm speaking with myself, number one, because I have a very good brain. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody but me will know how to do it. I'm the king of banking. Oh, am I good at banking? Construction is what I know. I say nobody knows it better. I understand money better than anybody. I know more about drones than anybody. I know about every form of safety that you can have. Nobody knows the system better than me. Which is why I alone can fix it. Okay. All right. So omniscience is covered. Like, forget the Nobel laureates and uh, the great economists and forget the hive mind out there. Forget the, the, the most acute thinkers in modern day and throughout human history. We no longer need them because Donald Trump knows everything about everything. And he's placed... In positions of power, all of these judges who are protecting Christian privilege, he is allowing people like mega-pastor Robert Jeffress and Paul White and Franklin Graham and Jerry Falwell Jr., they just essentially get a, a total 24-hour-a-day pass to the White House. We have an evangelical advisory board in the halls of our government. Why do we have an evangelical advisory board? It's because he is pandering, and the evangelical right has completely prostituted itself, has ignored the best teachings of Jesus Christ so that it might further entrench its power and privilege in this country. And atheists, there are atheists who get mad at me for talking negatively about Donald Trump. Why do you have to talk about politics, Seth? Why can't you just talk about religion? I am sorry. How can you not talk about religion when you're talking about the Republican Party? You got William Barr at the NRB, a representative of a state church separated government who is platforming the idea that a God, a magical wizard out in space is responsible for human morality and the fabric, the moral fabric of the United States, and that secularists are responsible for all the horrible things that are happening out there. 
right? I didn't create that problem. I didn't make those statements. I'm not forcing the religion issue into politics. It's already bled over. This milkshake has already been completely mixed up, and you and I are just trying somehow to extricate the two again and get back to the establishment clause of the Constitution. This one major party right now is pandering to the evangelical right and using the Bible to discriminate against LGBTQ people and to keep women from choosing what happens to their own bodies and essentially working to marginalize the already marginalized in society while claiming that God put them in their positions. Donald Trump actually called himself the chosen one. Energy Secretary Rick Perry called Donald Trump the chosen one. Did you see the interview with Mike Pompeo on CBN after Trump recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel? And Pompeo said that, hey, Trump may be like the biblical Esther who was called by God to validate the Jewish state, which is, by the way, part of a biblical end times narrative. I didn't make any of these things happen. I haven't made Trump do or say any of these things. I haven't caused the Republican Party to be this way. I'm not saying the Democrats aren't a hugely flawed party with hugely flawed people. I'm just saying I didn't create the problem, and you cannot ignore the bleeding of religion into politics in the United States. So you can bitch all you want, but we're going to talk about it. In fact, I'm going to talk to Rebecca Marker. She is legal director from the FFRF, the Freedom From Religion Foundation. Those people are on the front lines. I mean, they're just out there front and center in the courts in many cases, fighting all of this religious privilege, this Christian privilege that's coming down, this entrenching of power. We're going to get the skinny. We're going to get the scoop from Rebecca Marker on what they've been up to at FFRF in just a few I get weary watching the sort of absolutism that's happening with people who say, well, if my candidate doesn't get the nomination, I'm just not going to participate. And I'm screaming at the computer monitor going, the perfect is the enemy of the good. Right? It's not high ground to say, well, if I don't get my guy, fuck it. That's not high ground. I understand the notion of voting on your principles, But the idea that if I don't get my way or if I don't get my person, I'm just going to take my ball and go home, I think is an abdication of moral responsibility. I can already see the hate mail coming my way. Well, you know what? The moral thing is to vote your conscience, and therefore I'm going to stay home. And I'm like, if you stay home, what are you accomplishing? What are you sentencing the rest of us to? The opposition is literally praying you will stay home and not participate in the process so they don't have to give up their seats in the throne room. Oh. Well, the whole system is broken and it's all rigged and I just, I'm going to take my ball and go home. Damn it. Nothing matters anyway. No matter who the candidate ends up being on the Democratic side, no matter who that candidate is, I mean, none of the choices left are my favorites, but it's more than about one person. This November, I'm voting for more than just a candidate. I'm voting for the next appointee to the Supreme Court. I'm voting for the next Secretary of Education and federal judges getting lifetime appointments. I'm voting for 
funding the Centers for Disease Control. I'm voting to let kids out of cages. I'm voting to enforce EPA regulations and a healthy attitude toward how we treat the environment. I'm voting for the protection of the Johnson Amendment to keep the churches as much as possible out of the process. I'm voting for LGBTQ equality and same-sex adoptions. I'm voting for non-Christians to not be treated like second-class citizens. I'm voting so that somebody else can get some health insurance out there. I'm voting for a general reduction in toxicity and tantrums, especially on Twitter, but tantrums and bad behavior and bullying and disrespect and mockery by the other nations of the world when they look at what we currently have. I'm voting for an adult in the room, at least somebody who's more of an adult in the room. So a difficult choice becomes an easier choice because it's more than just the candidate. It's about nudging the United States away from the current assault on truth, compassion, maturity, and goodness. Right now, the perfect is the enemy of the good. Right now, we're just looking for the better, aren't we? We're looking for a step toward improvement, whatever that may mean. We can figure the rest out later. Right now, we got to stop the bleeding. Now we get into the troubled waters of, are you a humanist or are you just a non-believer in God's? And how do you define humanism? I define humanism as we are people who quite simply must solve each other's problems because we don't believe that solutions are coming from on high. We don't believe in a God that will advocate for us. We believe we must advocate for each other. We are all part of the human condition. That's where I fall as a humanist. And it just brought to my mind the question, how does a humanist choose a candidate? And I'm going to take shit for this one. How in the world could someone with humanist values stand behind the anti-humanist behavior, attitudes, and words of Donald Trump. I got unfollowed by somebody publicly, made a big announcement that he was going to unfollow my personal Facebook page because I like to talk politics. And of course, I'm like, well, you know, this is my page. Of course, I'm going to express my own value system on my page. And he was astounded that I could be an endorser of reason and logic and all these things when it comes to atheism and religion, but I apparently was using a religious mindset or I wasn't being logical or reasonable when it came to politics, which is a great way to sort of stop the conversation. I wish you weren't so illogical. And I'm like, you know, this is all a matter of record. So he's like, well, what exactly bothers you so much? And it took me about 30 seconds to line it up in my own brain. And I said, you know, Trump says sexual assault accusers are too ugly for him to have victimized. He baits teenage climate activists on Twitter. He mocks political rivals like Bloomberg. I don't even like Bloomberg, but he doesn't mock Bloomberg for his ideas. He went after Bloomberg for his height, called him Mini Mike. He cheers on congressmen who body slam journalists to the ground. He ridicules people like John McCain. John McCain, 
prisoner of war in Vietnam, shot down. He could have skated after two years because of his connections, but he refused to leave his brothers in captivity. And I think he was a POW for like five years, permanently disabled after the war because of his service. And Donald Trump, the draft dodger, says that he doesn't like John McCain because John got shot down and he likes guys that are good enough to not get shot down, who aren't losers enough to get captured during the Vietnam War. Don't ever tell me that Donald Trump is pro-military. And it's the same guy who calls his own generals losers and babies. Donald Trump has never served a minute in military service, okay? He defrauded college students with a bogus university? A bogus university. Who takes advantage of students? He had the courts rule against him, against his own charity for fraud, had to pay restitution. He believed that Barack Obama had wiretapped the White House. He bought into the Obama birther conspiracy. Well, I don't know. Obama may have been born in Kenya. I don't know. Seems suspicious to me. He believes climate change is a conspiracy by the Chinese. He sold himself out to the evangelical right and stacked the courts with theocratic judges. Hell, even a small one, right? Remember, he said he'd be working too hard for the American public to find time to play even one round of golf. Folks, he is at 249 rounds of golf to the tune of I don't know how many millions upon millions of dollars that taxpayers are having to fund for his security on the golf courts. This is just a drop in the ocean. I mean, this is just a stream of consciousness list. All you have to do is watch Donald Trump's Twitter feed for five minutes. You'll have a fresh example of the horror we are facing. I posted this on March the 13th. I said, I've been told I should stop talking politics, so allow me to double down. I think it's ridiculous for any humanist to support a president who is the antithesis of humanist values. If you support... Enable, allow, or excuse a pathological liar, a bully, predator, bigot, an egomaniacal cad. You are setting fire to the very house you claim to build. Our votes are a reflection of our values, a reflection of ourselves. And I remain convinced Donald Trump is an empty shell of a man, a vacuous heart, that cannot elevate itself, and so it commits to slashing at others in acts of pettiness and cruelty that should be an anathema to all moral creatures. Trump is the jester who wants to be king. He is the tweet storm, the tantrum, the cheap shot, the truth of the moment forked tongue, the antithesis of goodness, charity, empathy, humanism. He's the antithesis of humanism. And if he is us then shame on us. A few calls from our switchboard today as the listeners sound off. 647 on the switchboard. You're on the Thinking Atheist podcast. Who's this? Hi, Seth. This is Mike from Toronto. How are you? I'm well. Okay. I'm not an American, but I can give you an outsider's perspective because I think this is applicable to the world. Uh, what's happening right now is that last big push of power for a dying religion okay you see it happening like right now you can say republicans this that and the other thing when in fact the republicans the people in charge of the white house right now would be a little bit better to say they're the tea party 
I mean, the Tea Party took control of your government right now, and that's what's really going on. And that's going to cleanse itself really soon. Though I'm one that if I was American, I would say vote blue no matter who. And I would. But I'm going to make a prediction on your show right now. If Bernie Sanders loses, it gets the majority vote, but gets ousted because of superdelegates, Trump will be in for sure. No matter what you preach, no matter what you say, though I agree with you, I agree 100% that you're abstaining from your moral duty by not voting. I mean, when, when, when we say veterans died for our freedom, what does that ultimately mean? That ultimately means to preserve democracy, which boils down to your vote. In my opinion, when you don't vote, you, you disgrace the veterans who died. But nonetheless, the reality will be that if Bernie Sanders wins the majority but gets ousted on superdelegates, you're going to have a significantly large number of voters who will not vote. I like Bernie okay. I mean, he's, uh, he's a bit radical for me. Um, I'd certainly support him if he was the candidate, you know. I look at the comment section right now and I'm like, well, so-and-so said this and so-and-so's done that. And these things matter. But the days of purity tests need to be over. The perfect is the enemy of the good. Right now, we are, we're doing damage control. And so, uh, yeah. you know, if I look and I think, well, is Sanders going to make a theocracy and pander to the religious right, the Jerry Falwell Jr.'s and the uh, Pat <laughs> Robertson's and the Robert Jeffresses and the Paula White's? Hell no. I mean, you can no see chance. that coming. So I, I'm looking and I'm like, this, is, this isn't even close. I bet you, I bet you, you know, this is just me speculating, but I'll bet any money that Bernie Sanders is an atheist, but he just can't come out with it in America. Somebody asked me once, they said, when do you think we'll get an atheist president in the U.S.? And I'm like, oh, I statistically, I know we've already had one. They were just politically savvy enough not to say it out loud, you know? Exactly. Exactly. I got to move on. Before you let me go. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. May I ask you one quick question before you let me go? Yeah. I'd like to send you an email with a PDF attachment. I want to ask you something. My son just started a, a vlog called The Teenage Atheist, and I was, I was just wanted to share it with you. But uh, the emails I've sent you in the past never got viewed. Is there any way I can send you an email with a PDF? Uh, I try that, to read uh, all the emails. Look at is it, how long is it? Like I don't have a whole lot of bandwidth, but I'll try to take a look at it. You can send it to Seth. Well, at- no, there's no bandwidth, but it's just text. There's, it, it, it won't, won't take up much. How much? Te- like, is it a book? Is it an article? What like, is a it? Page. Oh, like a cool. page. Like a page. Yeah, yeah. Uh, send it to Seth at thethinkingatheist.com. All right. I will do that. And thank you so much for taking my call. Thanks for calling. See you later. Bye-bye. I talked about this on Facebook the other day, and I'm, I try to get to every email that is sent to me. I don't have the time to respond to all of them. But some people, it, with the best of intentions, will be like, hey, would you read this apologist book and then tell me what your opinion is? And I'm like, holy shit. Would you watch this two-hour debate and then create a rebuttal to it? I'm just like, oh, I need to be cloned. I don't have enough time to do all. I'd like to do it, but... It's just not always practical. 813, you're on the Thinking Atheist podcast. Who's this? This is Christy Santiago, and I want to say hi to everyone in chat. I am the second co-host, there's two of us, to the channel called League of Extraordinary Atheists for Humanism. And I have been campaigning for Bernie Sanders so hard. And I do need to say that out of all the doors I've knocked on, I have met so many so-called, quote, moderates, Republicans and Democrats, who, when I talk to them about policy alone, 
all agree with what the mainstream media is calling radical ideas. And so it's heartwarming to me when I knock on the hundredth door that day and 80 of them have agreed to vote for Bernie without any corrosion, any persuasion, just policy talk. So I wanted to add that to the conversation because I think that that's lacking. Person to person, it's there. It's not radical. I don't think healthcare is radical and I don't think taking away this debt on so many people is radical. What I think is radical is going into foreign countries and just decimating brown and black poor people. That's freaking radical. So maybe I'm radical. Who knows? <laughs> I, I'm not opposed to radical ideas. I understand, though, that culture shifts often d- don't happen in a Cambrian explosion. Uh, sometimes exactly. it, you know, it, it, I agree. taking I agree. that step. But, but I, you and I agree philosophically. Ideologically, we yes, agree that course. that you know. I think Bernie, despite the fact that you know he's a flawed guy like anybody else, he ain't Jesus. You know, we, we uh, he's yeah. not. This he's isn't a Trump cult. <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, he's been doing right. the same kind of thing for decades. He stayed on message. I think he's a true believer in what he's about. I'm. Yeah. I have some questions about how it's all paid for, but quite frankly, I don't mind paying more in taxes if I'm paying less in health care. I think that that is a huge misconception. When I sit down with. Um, just yesterday, my last family that I knocked on is a family of four, mom and dad and two boys. This family is paying $13,000 a year for health care. So they're going to not pay $13,000 a year for health care. They're not going to pay anything out of pocket at day of service, at time of service. But they will pay more at taxes at the end of the year, but not 13000 What it will probably come to is about 9000 So that saves them money. And I think there's this huge misconception that, you know, you're going to be taken away from your choice. But the way that um, I had a union uh, rep explain it to me wonderfully. They said, I have the best insurance that I've ever had in my life. We negotiated so hard to get this health insurance. I mean, we were down to the line crossing our fingers to get this health insurance. However, I have friends and family, loved ones who don't have health insurance. So would I give up all the hard work that we just went to for this amazing health care so that everyone can have it? You bet your damn life is what they said. And I think that people are just ready to care. You know, I, I love, there is an ad, anyone can look it up on YouTube. It's called, fight for someone you don't know. Look around you, find somebody you don't know. Look at them. Are you willing to fight for them? That to me is humanism at its core. And I cannot tell you, I'm 43 years old. I'm so freaking stoked about this country having its second progressive era. My great grandparents voted for FDR four times. And then we had a conservative era. And it, it's just time, if, you, if you're a history buff like me, the pendulum swings. And when things have been wrong, it overcorrects when it swings and it swings hard. And that's what we're seeing. There are some who are going to accuse me of allowing a five-minute Bernie ad on the show with you, but uh, I I think your perspective is valid. I I think you bring a lot of good ideas to the table, a lot of good stuff to chew on. And uh, I I think Bernie Sanders has more humanism in his pinky finger than the entire Donald Trump administration has as a collective. And that's huge for me. And I don't know that I agree that people 
that all people are interested in caring about other people. Uh, I am very aware. I yes. know several people, many people in my immediate circle who are like, it's every man for himself. And I'm going to look out for Same. number one. That shit exists. And it's part of the reason the Same. Republican Party I, I was is raised the way by conservatives. I, I get it. All right. Yeah. I get it. Get out there. You know what? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I had to make my way. They got to make their way. And that's how it is. And and it's a very insular yep. way of They're, living. So Taxes are theft. Yes. I've heard, that, I've heard that exact thing. But at the same yeah. time, I think, okay. you know, if we lose the empathy of seeing someone else who doesn't have the opportunities we do, and our first reaction is, right. eh, you know, it ain't my life, it ain't my problem. I think that's that cheats everybody, including ourselves. And so I appreciate you and your enthusiasm. And, you know, if your candidate I wins, appreciate you. I'm sure I'll hear the uh, scream of, of ebullience and celebration across the country emanating out of your You house. will hear it from me. <laughs> In Tampa, Florida. You'll say, that is Christy. I can hear her in Tampa screaming. Christy, good luck with your show. Thanks for calling. We'll see you later. Thank you so much, Seth. Goodbye. See you later. Ah, she's enthusiastic. 360, you're on the Thinking Atheist podcast. Who's this? Hi, this is Tim Blaine. First time caller, but I love your show. Thank you. Thank you so much. What's on your mind? What do you think about all this? Well, I'm in agreement with the last caller as far as Bernie goes, and and, um, I was listening to you, and and you said something about, um, you know, Cambrian explosions don't necessarily happen. Well, we've had it happen in our history already. FDR did that. He was coming, he was coming right on the hills of Hoover, who caused the roaring 20s and the expansion of wealth for the rich. And then suddenly Black Tuesday happens and it fails. Um, the banks fail and, and all of that. FDR comes and he promotes the New Deal and he goes to all of the representatives and the senators and he says, look, you're going to have to vote for the New Deal. Otherwise, because I'm so popular, I'm going to primary all of your contestants, no matter who they are. So are you for the New Deal? All of a sudden, Cambrian explosion right there and we go into the great American expansion that was carried on by a Republican president. I took over and raised the tax for the rich to 93%. Of course, they didn't really pay the 93%, but you know what I mean. He he did the effective tax rate at 93% and they essentially paid around 50, 53, something like that. So Cambrian explosions do happen politically. I take your point. I mean, in my defense, I said uh, usually don't happen, but uh, no, you, you make a, a better point. Revolutions do happen and have happened throughout history. Major cultural shifts uh, certainly have happened, and they are possible. So I, I stand corrected. Uh, you've said it better than I did, so much appreciated. Oh, no problem. And uh, again, I love your show. I love listening to you and the, and. Uh, Anytime I can catch you on anything else, that's like, oh, yeah, I got to listen to Seth Andrews. No. <laughs> well, thank you for that. So, yeah. Well, uh, hang in there. Keep the non-faith. Hopefully, we'll see some positive change happen in November, and you're much appreciated. All righty. Thank you, sir. All right. Take care. 913. Hi. Who's this? This is Tiffany. Tiffany, I can barely hear you. Can you hear me? Sorry. I'm on a headset. All right. <laughs> um. Uh, I am. I don't claim to be a humanist. 
I'm one of these people who I vote pretty much right down the middle all the time. And since most of these people calling you sound like they're, you know, really hard for Bernie, as a moderate voter, I'm begging you guys to give us a different candidate. As much as I don't want to vote for Trump, I don't want to vote for Bernie. And I would like another option. I would like to have a more moderate candidate that I can vote for with a clear conscience. Can I ask you a question? When you say you're not a humanist, help me understand what that means. When you are looking at the world around us, you don't see us having to solve each other's problems? Um, I, I think that we do have to solve each other's problems. And I try to as much as I can, but I'm, I'm the only one in my life who's looking out for me. And I have to make sure I can take care of me first. As much as selfish as that sounds, I know it sounds terrible. Well, I don't have a problem with you being I mean, protective you know, of yourself I, and your circle. I think that's a responsible you know, there's, course there's, of action. There's nobody, there's nobody in my circle. I left the Jehovah's Witnesses. I lost my circle. I'm sorry so, to hear that. So I have to, I have to take care of me. So I help others when I can. But I, I hate to claim the umbrella of humanists when my circle is me. Okay, hang on. Hold on a second. All right. We, uh, I in the chat room will be your circle. All right. So if you need a circle, if you need a place to go, I'm just saying, I know what it's like to leave a cult or a religious institution that is your entire support mechanism. I know what it's like to be ostracized from family. So just know you are not in this by yourself. You are not alone. I appreciate that. That's part of why I listen to you. It's okay. You know, it's okay. Uh, Beyond that, I don't have any, I think it's the prudent thing to do to make sure that, you know, you can't take care of anybody else if you're not taking care of yourself. I mean, self-care is an important thing. Uh, I would just encourage you that, you know, to do what you said you've already done. And that's when I see the opportunity to help someone else. I try to do that, provided that I haven't neglected my own needs. I think that's a humanistic endeavor. And um, regardless mm-hmm. of who your candidate is, I appreciate you. I appreciate your perspective. I like the idea of having more options on the table. So if the Democratic candidates are all too left for you and you'd like another option, I think that's a valid position. You know, options are good. Options give us more to choose from. So I appreciate the perspective. Thank you. All right. Thanks for calling. 941. Hi, you're on the Thinking Atheist podcast. Who's this? Hi, Don. Don, thanks for calling. Got an opinion, comment, question? What? Sure. Well, I'd like the one just kind of address what the previous caller said real quick as far as finding another candidate or, you know, having a more centrist candidate, I guess, is what she was kind of getting at. Yeah. I mean, you know, everybody has their political views, left, right, you know, far left, far right, whatever they think. Um, I think more what we should be looking at nowadays with, you know, what we know as far as the systematic corruption that does happen legally in our country as far as bribing and things like that with politicians that I think when people, the reason I've come into contact with most people that like Bernie is the reason that he has a 40 year history of not be, you know, not taking money, not being corrupted by special interests, things like that. And I think that's more important right now in the current political climate than kind of looking for a policy based candidate. What is that, uh, that old line that says people buy into the leader before they buy into the vision? I mean, I think as of right now, based on the receipts of this career, 
I, I think that to me personally is more important than policy in particular. Um, all right. Well, thanks for the call. Thanks for the input. Appreciate you. I, I did have one quick thing I'd like to get your thoughts on off air, you know, after you hang up. Um, uh, somebody like Neil deGrasse Tyson or uh, Bill Nye as uh, Secretary of Education, somebody in that, ilk, you know, elk of uh, thinking and thoughtfulness. You know, I, I just would like somebody who has some semblance of expertise to be in charge of these particular i mean when you've got the hud director who has no experience in housing you got bridenstine who's heading up nasa the guy has no experience i mean they had to take him into a back room and show him that climate change is real well the guy that he made ahead of epa Rick Perry, who's having prayer meetings yeah, in yeah. Texas so that they can try to counter the the drought. So they're having these prayer vigils. It's terrifying. Yes, I would love to see some scientists. I would love to see some engineers. It's problem solvers, you know, people who are aware of how education works or perhaps even have radical yeah. ideas about how to change the system, which I think is horribly broken. The system of how we yeah. educate people in the 21st century. Anything really but what we have. It would be refreshing to see people who <laughs> knew their stuff in the halls of power, for sure. I agree. Appreciate I agree. you, my well, friend. I, I love your show, man, and thank you for your time. Thank you. 907, you're on the Thinking Atheist podcast. Who's this? Hi, this is Alex. How are you? I'm good, Alex. Welcome to the the cauldron, right? The boiling cauldron <laughs> of political discussion where everybody's got a candidate or an opinion or no candidate or or they're pissed off or you know they're they're about to rage quit the comment section or I don't I mean it's just if there's a conversation more divisive than religion it's got to be politics, right? So Exactly. So right, what I, do you I'm right think? where I belong then. What do you have to say? Um well, I think that as a humanist or anybody, I think you should vote on the basis of reason. And I don't think it's wise to put ourselves in little boxes all the time. And once again, you said it was a cauldron, and it certainly is. And so I am nervously jumping in a bit because I am in a fairly unique position in that I'm politically homeless. And I am an activist in left-wing politics who supports Trump. You hear that silence? No, no, no. I want to have this yeah. conversation. I really do. All right. All so right. you are, okay. uh, you're left, you're liberal. Yes. Can you describe what you mean by that? What liberal positions would you take? Well, I'm, I've always been socially liberal. Um, uh, a non-believer is traditionally um, associated with that. I believe in having solid social programs to support people were in hard times and I support secular education and etc <laughs> but uh, but uh, I am one of the many who has found him or herself completely alienated by the behavior of the left recently what behavior specifically troubles you oh it's so hateful it is so hateful okay well let's camp out here for a second do you okay. see hatefulness coming out of Donald Trump? Uh, not nearly to the same degree or on the same scale. You don't think Donald Trump has been hateful? I mean, consistently hateful to his 
enemies, his former employees, his former cabinet. I mean, to a 16-year-old climate activist on Twitter, you don't see a pattern of hatefulness and cruelty to other people? It's not a loaded question. I just, I, are, do you monitor right. Donald Trump's words and behavior? Yes, I do. Okay. All right. Yes, I do. But you don't see that, you don't see it's even close. You think the Democrats have been no, more toxic. No, I, I, I see a bombastic showman when it comes to stuff like that. So he doesn't necessarily mean it, and it's a presentation outwardly? No. See, that's, that's the thing that I think a lot of people miss about Trump, and, and it's commonly said. I don't think it's uh, sunk in yet, is that people who um, support Trump um, take him seriously, but not literally. People who don't like him take him literally, but not seriously. You hear that silence? Like, yeah. why would I not want to take the words that come out of the mouth of a sitting commander-in-chief at face value to believe or accept that he says what he means? Now, I'm not talking about some political maneuvering. You know, I understand that it's a complex game, and sometimes you're playing chess, not checkers. But when you are speaking specific words, and this goes well back, long before the presidency. Words, these words have assigned value. He is saying what he's thinking. You think this is something else? Is it a ruse? Am I supposed to read between the lines? How do I not take literal speech well, literally? Okay, well, give, give me an example. Oh, gosh. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a most recent one. Uh, probably going out. Uh, the first one that comes to mind, obviously, because she's a teenager, was him going after Greta Thunberg. Do you think it's responsible for a 70-plus-year-old sitting president to bait a teenager, a climate activist teenager, on Twitter? Do you think that's healthy, responsible behavior and a productive use of his office? Um, it depends on what the goal is and whether or not she's she has deliberately put herself out there in a major way and she has deliberately sought to address people in power if you're going to deliberately do that then i think you should be prepared for responses when you see the trump associates like his former personal attorney who's now doing prison time and you see yes, the, many the of his former associates who have since come forward i think was it um wasn't Flynn, who was it, who said that Trump is capable of kindness, but he's not a kind person. He's capable of goodness, but he's not good. That, that type of thing. The people who know him best, who have been in his inner circle, people like Tony Schwartz, who ghost-penned his autobiography, The Art of the Deal, came forward in The New Yorker several years before, actually right before the election, and said, beware, this man's a sociopath. I fabricated most of his story because it is a sales pitch. It's mostly bullshit. Everybody be careful. Do you think there's merit to the people who know him best sounding these warnings to the American public? Well, as with anybody who is um, of the same kind of prominence Trump is, you are always going to have people who were formerly close who will say horrible things about you. You will always have people who were close who will say wonderful things about you. 
it's very difficult for somebody in our position out here in the masses to judge who has the better motives, who is being the most honest and who isn't. So when it comes to stuff like that, I just take it with a grain of salt and understand that just about any of us, when thrust into a position of the spotlight, would be subject to all sorts of things. And maybe some of the stuff that people would say about us was true, not our proudest moments, and maybe it wouldn't be. So I, I just, I, I approach that very carefully. When a, a court orders the Trump family to pay restitution for abusing a children's charity and then forbids them to participate in this charity moving forward. Or we can actually go back a few years before that to the bogus Trump University, which scammed and defrauded college students who thought they were paying for a legitimate education and got scammed by Donald Trump. Do you think that has any reflection on the man? Of course it does. You think it speaks to character? To some degree, um, you look at the totality of his businesses, some were great, some weren't. I think in some cases, upon examination, I think what you look at is a situation in which he started something with great intentions, and it failed, and he ate it. <laughs> there are a lot of bad things that were said. I don't begrudge and, a business um, person who yeah. fails. And they say that a great percentage of successful business people had tremendous failures along the way but trump's a little unique isn't he i mean he was born with the silver spoon he was given i don't know how many millions of dollars at the beginning of his life he's he's never had to want for anything and he has a long pattern of abusing employees and bilking his vendors right you have people coming forward and saying he just outlawed me he refused to pay my bill he just bullied my company into acquiescence. Do you think that's good business or do you think it's a reflection on the man? Again, I think you've got to look at the totality here of the fact that just somebody like that in his decision. I don't care who you are. You point to anybody with that degree of prominence and that degree of, of wealth and businesses and interactions. Um, you're going to have people who will say horrible things whether they're true or not okay and if if there's enough smoke i'm not trying to corner you here i i really want some clear i understand if there's enough smoke at what point do we say there must be a fire right if you look at his um refusal to allow black people as tenants into his specific properties back in the 70s if you look at him lurking in miss teen usa pageant dressing rooms right his predation on women if you see the grab him by the pussy remark uh, which goes public mm-hmm. right before the election and he gets elected anyway you see his attitude toward women half of the population of the united states if you see that plus the scams plus the cheating plus the bilking of vendors plus just the his twitter feed up to 130 tweets a day if you see the totality if you see all of this smoke do you come to a point when you start to think hey there may be a fire here and i should be concerned Well, that's the thing is that I'm not looking just at Trump. I look at those who were competing with him. And in 2016, everybody 
was going on and on about the fires around Trump and completely ignoring the complete, uh, just, uh, if there was a fire around Trump, it was an inferno around Clinton and nobody would talk about it. Do you think Hillary Clinton may be in line more with humanistic values? I I mean, I'm not saying she's a good candidate. All right. I'm going to take heat for that because I, I just, I, I'm not convinced Hillary was a great leader. I would love to have a female. I, I, I probably am going to vote for Warren if she ends up being the candidate. Uh, I, I rather okay. I hope she's the candidate. So because I she's my front runner right now. But um, do you think when it comes to protecting the state church line, keeping superstition out of politics, not giving preferential treatment and privilege to the theocrats, being more representative of the United, the diverse population of the United States. Do you think a candidate representing more of those liberal values is more in line with humanistic values than Donald Trump? I think, well, as far as Clinton goes, I think that she would go whichever the way the wind was blowing and would be most profitable to her at the moment. Do you think, though, that if she Um, holds the position to protect LGBTQ rights and same-sex marriage, where the Republicans do not, that's a humanistic value, right? We could stand behind that. Yes, but I, I, yeah, no, I, I, yes, of course I'm, I'm behind that. I don't think that, again, I think this is something that she would just go with, you know, whatever, would profit her at the moment, just as the shame as she did when it came to gay marriage rights. So you don't think that she I mean, would have she, a, a personal conviction? She was. She's not a Democrat no, because doesn't. of a personal conviction. She's a Democrat because it's politically expedient. I think so. Yes. I, I, yeah, I do. I mean, is her, that a feeling in your gut? I mean, how do you get bear there? that out? How, how do you get there? How do you get to the point where you you can assign that motive? Do you do you feel like she has a track record of shifting? on same-sex marriage or health care or something Oh yeah, Well, yeah, I mean, she does. I mean, that, that's a matter of record. Yes, of course she does. You can understand how somebody like myself would be horrified at the idea of four more years under Donald Trump. You can understand how someone who doesn't want the bleeding of state church overreach, who is who thinks that character does inform action, right? Who he is informs what he does. And that words do mean things. And even if he was playing some sort of a between-the-lines political game, he should be savvy enough to know that he lives in a literal world. And if he's going to make a statement, we don't need apologists going, well, what he meant wasn't this awful thing. He actually meant something laudable. I would like someone savvy enough to know the difference, to know that this is a matter of record. It's a matter of history. It's a matter of leadership. And you can understand how the idea of four more years of this would be troubling to a guy like me, right? I can, but I don't think you should be nearly as troubled as you are. Okay. Anything else? I mean, I don't want to cheat you. I've, I've, you know, I've, I've, we've spent some time here together. I don't think we're going to probably change each other's minds, although both positions have been presented. But I appreciate your perspective. Have I missed anything here? Well, um not coming from from where you are but i think that it should be said that i think trump has proven over the last few years that uh his policies are overall a benefit there's a book i'm reading it's called 
A Very Stable Genius. It's written by a few Washington Post reporters who had access to over 200 staffers inside the White House, both current and past. I'm only about halfway through it. It's an interesting-slash-terrifying look at the reality of what a Donald Trump presidency is. A man who is, who is, he's illiterate. He does not read. He does not educate himself. He goes completely with his gut. He has no memory, right, except for the grudges that he holds. He has such a poor grasp on the basics of his office that he is having to be protected by the people around him from things being worse than they are. Now, I realize you probably aren't interested. You probably are hold a position that if they are reporters from the Washington Post, that they are already biased and it's a hit piece, it's a hatchet job, and you don't believe it. But I would encourage you, if you have the bandwidth or the time to do that, to crack the book open and get a little bit of a glimpse into what Donald Trump is like in the words of the people who spend the most time with him. And I, I found it enlightening. I think it's an enlightening journey that others should probably take. And then maybe we can rendezvous in a little while and have another chat, okay? Okay. Uh, I will do that. If in the meantime, you will perhaps open up to looking at some more, you know, just take into consideration the net positives that have happened because of this administration. Be a good finder is your advice to me. Yes, and be skeptical. Be so, I mean, it's just I, I watch people just drop their skepticism immediately when it comes to believing the worst about Donald Trump. Well, look, I mean, in they, my they, own they defense, they completely check their skepticism at the door. Look, I'm not reading somebody's report of a report of a report. I'm watching the man. I know. I'm just, watching yeah, yeah. the man, right, who is on record and he's given us plenty of information on which to form an opinion and i would like to think that it's because i am skeptical that i reject what he's about now i i do receive your point and i'll continue to watch and read and i'll continue to educate myself as best i can but know that a great many of us who are against trump are against him because we have seen what he said heard what he's done and considered the man at his very core from the source. Fair enough? Fair enough. All right. Fair enough. Been a good okay. conversation <laughs> with you, my friend. See, you and I are examples of people who approach something from completely different points of view. We're still pals, right? We're still friends. We've had a wonderful... Yes, and we met once. We met in Anchorage. You were at the Anchorage event? Yes, I was. Awesome. That was an amazing trip. I got married that week. Uh, we actually hopped on a plane. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and after your presentation, you and I spoke briefly about our similar views on how much easier it is to feel so sorry for uh, animals than it is for people. <laughs> oh, God. Don't get me started. I, there was a Humane Society article yeah. about some people who had abused a dog, and they, they put this story up, and it does hit a primal part of me. It just hits me mm -hmm. right in my heart. You and yeah. I share that. So, yeah, thank see, you. See, you and I probably, yeah. at least in that, we have a lot more in common than we probably have apart. I appreciate the chance to talk to you. Thanks for calling. Yeah. All right. Bye, Seth. See you later. Okay, now Alex had said something that I had gotten wrong. I thought that Hillary Clinton had long been a proponent of same-sex marriage. Of course, you know, she first ran 
Uh, she was a senator and first ran for president back when I was still coming out of my evangelical Fox News Christian nationalism, you know. And so we just hated Hillary to begin with. But uh, she is correct. Alex is correct that Hillary Clinton has changed her position on same-sex marriage. I looked it up on PolitiFact, so in the order of fairness here. Uh, We need to be clear. Clinton opposed same-sex marriage as a candidate for the Senate while in office as a senator. And while running for president in 2008, she expressed her support for civil unions starting in 2000 and for the rights of states to set their own laws in favor of same-sex marriage in 2006. As polls showed that a majority of Americans supported same-sex marriage, Clinton's views changed, too. She announced her support and for same-sex marriage. In March 2013, PolitiFact says it's up for voters to decide how they feel about her changed stance. But on same-sex marriage, we give Clinton a full flop. So she flopped or flip-flopped or whatever on that issue. And we can... Analyze that to see if it was just merely politically expedient or if she genuinely did evolve her views. And I don't know the answer to that question. You know, I do evolve my views on it. I used to be adamantly opposed to same-sex marriage. Of course, I went through a sea change in my own life where I rejected religion. And Hillary Clinton remains a religious person, at least publicly. So, In the spirit of fairness, I wanted to say that on that point, Alex is correct. And I appreciate that. Oh, if Hillary, oh, if anybody and everybody who is holding to the God and country narrative, the in God we trust, the Christian nation, falsehood, the myth that all of our founding fathers were all devout evangelical Christians who wanted to establish the government as a church. Oh, if they would just experience freedom from religion. Short break. When I come back, I'm going to talk to Rebecca Markert. She is the legal director for the Freedom From Religion Foundation. We're going to find out what's happening in the White House, the Congress, and in the courts, and what you and I can do to try to return this country to its state church separated roots. We'll do it right after this. Hang on. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Rebecca Markert is the legal director for the Freedom From Religion Foundation, FFRF.org. They are a nonprofit organization that's committed to help protect the state church line. They are one of my favorite organizations. I have long been a supporter. I would encourage you to do the same. And I'm honored to have Rebecca Markert on the show today. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. Did I get you right? It's legal director. I know you're an attorney, but what's your specific role with FFRF? That is correct. I am the legal director. I manage our team of 10 attorneys, and I manage all of our daily work. So I do have some cases that I work on. Um, I manage the intake team and help our younger attorneys figure out how to send out our letters of complaint and cease and desist letters to government agencies. Rebecca, did you watch the State of the Union address? Could you get through it? I did. I did. (laughs) What's that like for you? Um, You know, when he's talking about his um, defense of religious liberty, and we know he's twisting the language. Are you yelling at the TV like I'm yelling at the TV? You know, I usually am a little more restrained in that, you know, it's just rolled my eyes and, yeah, here we go again. We knew that this was coming. Um, especially when he talked about bringing prayer back into the schools. I feel that for the last three years, really, we've known what we're up against and a lot of what is happening we've seen coming. Not everything, but a lot of it was not entirely unanticipated. This is a grab, right? This is a power grab? Would you agree? I saw that uh, Nick Fish at American Atheist had said something in a tweet like, this is just a power grab. They're trying to scramble for as much entrenched power as they can get just in case their tides turn in 2020. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. I mean, even, even if the tides don't turn in 2020, I think from day one, they've been very deliberate in making sure that they are reshaping our laws to favor Christian nationalism and Christian privilege. It was no secret that they wanted to take over the courts and pack them with really young, really extreme lifetime appointed judges that would reshape our laws and our federal bench for decades to come. Now, that's interesting because we always talk about the Supreme Court. You're talking about the much bigger picture, right? Right, right. I mean, the Supreme Court is obviously alarming. He's gotten two really extreme judges on the bench. But the even more disturbing and upsetting situation is what's happening at the lower level. He is appointing judges to federal appellate circuits and trial circuits across the country at an alarming rate. Um, At one point, he had, uh, I think he's close to appointing nearly 200 federal judges. Um, Again, those are lifetime appointments. And that is far more than President Obama got in eight years. So they are really just ramming them through. And there's really nothing that we can do to stop them. We've stopped a few of them because, you know, some of these come out as really unqualified. There was one judge who had never tried a case ever, even as an attorney. 
and there was one appointment, um, or are there several appointments where it comes out that they've made some really alarming, horrible statements about LGBTQ people and things like that, where there's a significant backlash and we're able to get some senators on our side. But for the most part, these judges are going through and they're going to be there for the duration of my career um, and, and, you know, probably for a lot of our younger generations. Talking about unqualified, I mean, let's just, we can go through the Trump administration, right? We got Ben Carson at HUD with no experience with housing, but Betsy DeVos is the first one who comes to mind. It was NEA President Lily Garcia who had called a few years ago. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, quote, the first secretary of education with zero experience with public schools. She's never worked in a public school. She's never been a teacher, a school administrator, nor served on any public board of education. She didn't even attend public schools or send her children to public schools. She's out of her league when it comes to knowing and doing what works for public school students. Beyond that, you have DeVos's claim that she thinks the public school system is there to advance God's kingdom. You guys cross paths with DeVos in any way? We do quite often, you know, um, with everything that you just said, all very true. She's also a huge proponent um, because of all of that. She's a huge proponent of school voucher programs and these neo voucher programs that masquerade as school choice programs. And she actually was just in Madison less than a month ago um, where FFRF is headquartered. She came with Vice President Mike Pence to celebrate school choice week. And we went out because they're only a couple blocks away from our office and protested. And at that event, they just lauded school choice and how wonderful it was for parents to be able to send their kids to private schools. You know, really their motive and their objective here is to undermine public education altogether. And These voucher schemes and scholarship programs, they benefit private religious organizations who are running schools. And so really, it's just diverting public dollars to religious education, which, of course, is unconstitutional. But there have been several courts that have found that these types of schemes are constitutional. And in fact, that's going up before the U.S. Supreme Court this year. Um, It was argued a couple of months ago for a case in Montana and we'll, we'll get a decision in that case in June. Tell me about the vouchers. Is this, I mean, she's a devout Christian. Are these vouchers supposed to also apply to Islamic schools, other faiths? Is it only slanted toward Christian? Is that maybe between the lines? I mean, how does that work? I mean, theoretically, yes, they could go to those schools. In large portions of the country, there's just not that many religious schools that are Muslim schools versus Christian schools. So, for example, in Montana, the case Espinoza v. Montana, that scheme supported 13 religious schools and charter schools in the state of Montana. Twelve were actually religious. One was not. And I believe 11 of them were Christian. And I think one might have been Catholic or something like that. I mean, the reality is, is most of the schools that are benefiting from these schemes are Christian and not minority faiths. But theoretically, yes, it could go to those schools that apply to be part of this program. The Freedom from Religion Foundation had an ad, a television ad that played during the Democratic debate a few days ago. 
How's your inbox after that? I mean, did you get the avalanche? You know, the expected avalanche of hate and death once that ad played? (laughs) Well, you know, actually, what I found surprising was when I was on Twitter, the amount of people who are really excited to see it. You know, we do get a lot of people calling and, and complaining, but I think what has been really amazing is how many positive calls and reactions we've received from that ad. Um, there were people in South Carolina that night who were tweeting and calling us saying, we saw you down here in South Carolina. That's awesome. Keep it up. So I've been really surprised at the positive feedback that we've received from not only this ad, um, we've also run the one with Ron Reagan in previous debates over the course of the last few months. Rebecca Markard, you and I are the villain. Right. I mean, when it comes to much of the Christian nationalist narrative, it was uh, U.S. Attorney General William Barr. He just spoke recently at the uh, National Religious Broadcasters Association. He's there with Betsy DeVos. Right. So here he is. He's an elected official and appointed uh, official. But he's speaking at this religious gathering and he's talking about how that the media has become monolithic an enemy of God, and it's up to the religious broadcasters to try to center things, to right the ship, so to speak. And then he says that the forces of secularism have unleashed, quote, immense suffering, wreckage, and misery. Now, this is part of the narrative that comes out of theocratic government. And, you know, again, that's not surprising either. You know, they are feeling very threatened. This Christian nationalism, this really dangerous political theology that's trying to redefine our country into a Christian identity with believing that we were founded as a Christian nation and we're based on Judeo-Christian principles and that the, the real danger in their view is that we're straying from these foundations. And as they believe that they're really under attack because There is a growing population of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, and minority religious faiths in this country. They're feeling that they're going to be losing their privilege as our demographics change. And so they do really feel attacked, and they are going to bear down and try to save a lot of this privilege. That's an interesting thing to watch, too, because if you look at these statistics, right, the non-religious are growing, not necessarily atheists, but... I mean, the numbers of the people who don't give a shit about religion are really on the rise. And this is a decades long trend in the United States. So short term, I mean, they're pretty successful at consolidating power and entrenching these judges at every level and doing all this stuff. But their long game for the Christian nationalist must be pretty terrifying, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I, I do think we can't... um understate what they're doing to the federal judiciary because these a lot of the the decisions that are coming down from these extreme judges are going to be really difficult under our system to undo quickly and they're also dismantling a lot of the federal regulations which are going to take years to correct as well and They've changed the rules in the House and the Senate to make it harder for minority parties to stop things and even really to get things done. They've really sort of played a really good game of chess at stymieing a lot of the progress that we've seen over the last 10 years. Interesting uh, to talk about those who have oppressed others throughout history. 
I've done some writing on this recently, and it's at the top of my mind. But, you know, from the kings and their courts, the dictators and the tyrants, the oppressors, how often have they used the name of God to excuse their own privilege, to protect their own power? And uh, I've always, every time I see somebody who's in a position of great power saying, you know, God brought me here. Trump said, I am the chosen one. Rick Perry, energy secretary, actually said that about Donald Trump. We think he is the chosen one. There was a story uh, recently about Pompeo, uh, right? He is the United States Secretary of State. This was a year after that Trump had recognized Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. So Pompeo is sitting down with none other than the Christian Broadcasting Network, and they're talking about this recognition of Israel and this Jewish state. And for Pompeo, it's part of a religious narrative. And he said that he believed it's possible that Donald Trump was like the biblical character of Esther, who had been brought, divinely brought by God to protect the Jews to help establish the Jewish state, which is a precursor to the end times. So not only do we have somebody who's invoking God and God's destiny to entrench power, but we have people making decisions, both domestic and foreign policy decisions, based on a magic book. It's terrifying, Rebecca. I'm terrified. It is It is terrifying. It is. And, you know, that's one of the, the things that as I go out and talk to people, particularly young people um, who really feel that there's a lot on fire lately. You know, I mean, every, everybody's under attack. You know, there are really huge worries that we have over our LGBT friends and their rights and the things that they've gained over the last few years and those being rolled back. And what I try to tell, it, it's, it's hard for us to remind them that state church separation is really important because when you're dealing with separation at the border and you're dealing with the possibility that your gay friend might not be able to marry his love or that your your friend might not be able to get an abortion, those types of things, like this doesn't seem like the biggest issue um, that they necessarily care about. And What's been difficult for our job is to try to elevate that right and and get them to care about it. But the thing is, is we can point to all of these different issues and show why this mix of religion and government is driving a lot of these policies. Like you mentioned, they're bringing up the Bible for every policy decision that they're making, the child separation issue at the border. That was based on Romans 13. Jeff Sessions was not shy about that. The Bible allows us to do this. And that is horrifying. You've handled a number of high-profile cases, but you also at FFRF handle a lot of just everyday stuff. People approach you, right? I mean, they see somebody who's preaching in a public school classroom or they're using a government office to do some sort of evangelism. I mean, can you flesh that out? Because I know there are a lot of people who encounter this kind of stuff and they're like, well, wait a minute, who do I call? How do I contact you if something's going on that is a breach of the state church line? Can you kind of flesh it out what you're about? Sure. Yeah. I mean, here at FFRF, we field a lot of questions about state church separation. Oftentimes, we get a person who says, hey, this is going on in my community, and I think that it's illegal, but I'm not exactly sure what to do. So they contact our office either through 
email or calling our office. Um, you can go to our website and report a state church violation. It's one of our drop-down boxes, um, and that will get sent immediately to our intake attorney who will review your question and determine whether there's something that we can act on. A lot of times we are dealing with religion in the public schools. That just seems to be our bread and butter a lot of times where teachers are teaching their children how to pray, their kindergarten students praying before snack time, public school football coaches praying with their team or baptizing their teams. All of these things, FFRF, will review, determine if we can solve it short of going to court. And if we can, we'll send a letter to that school district or that government entity asking them to stop the constitutional violation. And oftentimes we're very successful, particularly in the realm of the public schools, because the law is so clear and so strong that state and church need to be separated, particularly in that context. Rebecca, we're friends. You know, you and I, we get each other, right? We're both heathen liberals, <laughs> right? I mean, we neither one of us are fans of Donald Trump. And yet, whenever I bring up the Trump administration and my vehement opposition to the man and what his government is doing, there is a group within the atheist circle. They are either fiscally conservative or they have, for whatever reason, they've decided that Trump is the lesser of the evils kind of thing. I want to hit that from a couple of angles if I can. First of all, it's more of a statement. I think that there's only really one party that is baptizing their platform in Christian theology, right, Rebecca? I mean, back me up on this. It's not the Democratic Party that has been, I'm not saying that I'm letting them off the hook, but I'm saying if we're looking at which political party right now is trying to build its foundation on magic and on Christian privilege, we have to say it's the Republican Party right now, the GOP. Would you line up with me on that? Is there more to it? Well, I mean, first, I, I will have to say that, you know, FFRF is a nonprofit organization, so we um, have to be nonpartisan. And so we don't endorse or support or oppose a particular political party, their platform or a candidate. But I think that you're right in that when you look at who the evangelicals and the religious right are embracing and are excited about, because really, I mean, honestly, if Hillary Clinton had won in 2016, we were not going to have, you know, an atheist president. She was very religious. There were going to be continuations of a lot of these faith-based offices and, and faith-based services and government funding. Vouchers probably wouldn't have gone away that still would have existed even under a different president. But the evangelicals were elated to have Donald Trump win in 2016 because this is the moment that they've been waiting for. They wanted to be able to push through these policies at every single level. And now they have somebody who's letting them do that and who has the political will to do that. They really did get their wish list, and that is alarming. So if someone's, uh, if you're nonpartisan as an organization, you're providing information and advocacy and those types of things. But if we're looking at who might be least dangerous <laughs> to the state church line, <laughs> is there a place that some people could go to try to get educated about you know, which candidate might be more pro-Constitution for 2020? Well, you know, we um, are part of the Secular Coalition for America, 
and they are an organization that can lobby and do more political type work. I believe that they are going to be pretty engaged in 2020. I know they are going to have a big get out the vote campaign with the Secular Student Alliance. They've been talking about doing legislative scorecards and and different types of surveys to figure out where the candidates are um, and how they align with secular values. Um, So that would be a place to go. And Hemant Mehta, who does the Friendly Atheist, he's done this for several election cycles, too, where he's just come up with a list of candidates who are openly atheist or openly secular and where they're running and what they believe in. Um, And he's been keeping track of that type of stuff, too. So he might be another place for people to look. The Secular Coalition for America's website is secular.com. Org, and then you can just Google search Friendly Atheist to find Hemet's website. Before I let you go, what do you need? Like, how can we help? What needs to happen? Give me some plans of action. Give our listeners sort of a path forward as far as helping to stem sure. the, uh, the tide against the Constitution that's taking place. Well, I think the biggest thing is to join FFRF. We have a very active legal program, a very active non-legal program to really stem a lot of what's happening um, and really fight back against the Christian nationalism movement that is sweeping our country. So if you go to FFRF.org and join us, that would be the biggest help right now. The other thing is to be vocal about what you're seeing. Um, I'm heartened by the enormous backlash that we've seen against some of these really harmful discriminatory policies that the administration has been putting out. Um, When they roll back regulations that protect vulnerable populations and minority populations, there's a significant outcry over that. And that's really wonderful. But that only works if people are loud and, and passionate about it. I believe that it was James Madison said that your first duty as a citizen is outspoken resistance. So it's not enough to say, I disagree with that. You need to be more outspoken about it. Let these legislators know that you don't agree with that and that it's wrong and it needs to stop and that you're going to hold them accountable if they are not listening to you. And then I guess the final thing is is vote. Educate yourself, figure out who the best candidate is and vote in 2020. Rebecca Marker, too, is legal director at the Freedom From Religion Foundation, FF. RF.org. Thanks for your great work. Thanks for talking to me. Thanks for giving our listeners sort of a Thank place. Thank you for to having go. me. And uh, we'll follow your work, support your work. And if there's anything we can do to help support that work, you just let us know, okay? I will. Thank you very much. That'll do it for this week. We'll call it a show. Be safe out there. Have a wonderful week. We'll be back here next time on the Thinking Atheist Radio Podcast. Follow the Thinking Atheist on Facebook and Twitter. For a complete archive of podcasts and videos, products like mugs and t-shirts featuring the Thinking Atheist logo, links to atheist pages and resources, and details on upcoming free thought events and conventions, log on to our website, thethinkingatheist.com. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.